Welcome to Breitbart News Daily. Thanks for being here. Tomorrow is the big day, the big uh, big uh, starting of our simulcast. Simulcasting Breitbart News Daily on the first TV. You can watch that on the firsttv.com, the first TV app, Direct TV channel 347, UVerse 1220, every streaming platform there is pretty much, Roku, Pluto, etc. And uh, we're doing the last two hours of the show that you will get for free on uh, the first TV. The firsttv.com is a good way to start. This is all the way that you can know, all the ways that you can listen on the firsttv.com. All right, so we kicked off the show. It starts tomorrow, uh, on Tuesday. So we kicked off the show talking about midwits. And I did an okay job presenting this. This is the first time we presented it, so I, I got to get my thoughts a little clearer. But the idea is that we are run by midwits. And the midwits think they're so smart, and they think they're so much better than you, little people, the truck driver. Uh, when it's the, 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 the low IQ truck drivers and the sages have the same opinions, and they're both right, and it's the midwits in the middle, which make up a majority of this country, unfortunately, who, are, who don't have that common sense. As Reagan said, they know so much that just isn't so. So we presented this idea of the midwit in the first hour of the show. Uh, I want to play for you, though, the second segment we did after Dan Gaynor, where we talked about immigration and culture and how we really need to be thinking about this major problem at the border. Then we'll play our interview with Neil Monroe, where we got into the specifics of the Lankford-Schumer bill that is in front of the Senate right now. And will the Republicans pass that? So we'll do this big macro conversation about immigration, and then we'll get down to the politics of it. Here it is. I want to go take a step back and talk about immigration here, uh, bigger picture. You may remember on Friday, around this time, I think, we had a, a caller, uh, a very sweet woman from Pennsylvania calling. And it was maybe 30 minutes before this, someone else called in and said he had a bad experience at the local uh, permitting office in his hometown. It was a, you know, your, your classic, uh, the DMV's terrible story, right? And we've all been there. So this woman calls in sweet as pie and she talks about how she works at her local zoning office and she works really hard for the people and she tries to go as quickly as possible and work as hard as possible and go above and beyond all the time. And she just want to call in and let that caller know that not everyone is like that. There are still people who work hard and want to do what's right and do good and, and, uh, and she's one of those people. No, we were, I think we were talking about immigration. <laughs> so, so, yeah, we were talking about Maine, all the illegal immigrants in Maine. Right? And she called in and you're like, hmm, that seemed a little out of place, perhaps, that phone call. Uh, but she's sweet, so it was, it was fine. But it wasn't out of place at all. I, I don't think she knew how perfectly on point her comment was. It was, a, it was a perfect demonstration of exactly what we talk about. The, the, it's a perfect demonstration of the most important thing about this immigration conversation. She calls in and says she works at the local zoning office and works really hard. That is a perfect example of the importance of culture. Let's back it up a minute. This is a couple weeks ago. We talked to Emma Jo Morris, of course, Breitbart politics editor, about the border. Um, 
And aside from the economic issues, you know, probably my primary thing is culture. You know, and I don't think you can have this conversation without going there, which is the United States has a very um, unique and, in my opinion, uh, you know, elevated culture, which is something that has been fostered and preserved for, you know, I mean, it's Western culture, I guess. Maybe you could say hundreds of years. Um, and it's, it's very unique. And not every country in the world has that. And so let's say, for argument's sake, we had some sort of super economy that was impervious to, like, the laws of physics. Mm. It doesn't matter because, because our culture matters and assimilation matters and speaking English matters and having the values of Americans matter. And I'm not saying that people who are coming don't necessarily speak English or share our values, but a lot of them don't. And I'm not comfortable with that because I want America to stay America, and America is not just an economy. Mm-hmm. It's not even just land. It's the people who live here and the custodians of that of this of this nation. And uh, that's what dictates what it looks like, how it feels to walk on the street, how it feels to go to school, what it feels like to interact with the people in your neighborhood. Um, and and I think that we do need to protect that culture and that conversation needs to be had. Sometimes it can be hard to have because. It, Sometimes it can be hard to define the term. Yes. Uh, yes, yes. But I think we can probably get our arms around it on a basic level and define it on a basic level. And we need to do that because that needs to be part of this part of this dialogue. Okay. So I cannot recommend the book enough. It's called Albion's Seed. Uh, when you tune into the simulcast tomorrow, you'll see it right behind me. It's the blue book on my desk right behind me. Uh, Albion was the original term for Great Britain. So Albion's seed, we are, we are, we started from a seed from the tree that is England. And there are four distinct peoples that came from England during the beginnings of our, of our, of the new world. And these, each four groups of peoples brought their own distinct culture with them and settled in distinct areas inside this place we now call the United States of America. And we still see elements of those unique cultures still today. It's, it's a fascinating book. It's one of my all-time favorites. And the, it goes into crazy in-depth detail. And there's all these different categories of culture that we don't even wrap our head around. So there's categories of speech, building, family structures, marriage, gender, child rearing, names, uh, how age, how we view uh, youth versus uh, elders, death, religion, Learning, food, dress, sport, work, how we view work. I get back to that one. Time, how we view time. This is why you always hear even from the Smithsonian saying, hey, black people can't be expected to show up on time. They have a different culture. That was the Smithsonian saying that. And, and, and uh, it's, uh, it's white supremacist to suggest that uh, black people should show up on time to things. That's not me. That's the Smithsonian talking about that. Uh, different views on wealth, rank. Uh, ordering of like society, like hierarchy, power and freedom, all different cultures have different perspectives of these and, and they all blend together uh, in different ways. And here's the kicker. Some are good and some are bad. Some cultures have the wrong answer <laughs> to these things. But if you're not comfortable with saying good or bad, then you must at least be comfortable coming to the conclusion of compatible or incompatible. We'll get to that in just a minute. But 
last, I don't know, I think that's Thursday. Because that woman from Pennsylvania called in on Friday. I think literally the day before, I opened up, I'll buy and seed. That's like a thousand pages. And you open it up, and I just open it up to a random page. And it's great because if you open up to a random page, it picks one of the four people groups. And then you open up to a page, which is, which is an analysis of one of the different cultural aspects of that particular people group. So I'm not kidding. I opened up the book to Quaker's views on work. I opened it up to the Quaker's view on work and how they viewed work. And the cultural perspective of the Quakers when it comes to work is that work is a form of worship. And there are stories of Quakers in prison toiling away at a work that they devised in their own cell. They made it up themselves just so that they could work. And it was said back in the beginning of our country that of, of the Quakers that they cannot be idle anywhere because it was a form of worship. One of the Quaker leaders at the time said, when we neglect or misuse our talents, we necessarily depart from the heavenly fellowship. So the Quakers love to work. They're passionate about work. And there's nuances to this too. It's like, well, uh, so, okay, so now, now they have, there's views on discipline and uh, austerity, like how much we spend and, or don't spend, and uh, like honesty when dealing with other people and greed, right? So there's all these different aspects of, of work even. But I'm reading this, all this a couple pages on, on Quakers' view on work. Like, okay, that's interesting. And this is like, let's compare that to Jamaicans. I don't know. I like what, what culture, like what, I don't know what, uh, like Jamaicans aren't, there's not a lot of car manufacturing going on in Jamaica. I don't know what's going on in Jamaica. Like what name a country that doesn't have a strong work ethic, name a culture that doesn't have a strong, is not known for their work ethic. The Congo, right? We have a bunch of Congolese now in Maine, as we've talked about the last few days, people from Maine calling in. Actually, so the media has just reported on illegal immigrants coming to Maine, uh, but we had our callers who are like, oh, they're from the Congo. Okay, so I don't know the Congolese perception on work, but I'm guessing it's different than the Quakers. And where did that woman call in from? The woman who out of like kind of out of nowhere, but a little bit in response to the previous caller who said he had a bad experience at the permit office. This woman calls in and says, no, no, no. There are still people out there who work really hard, even at the local zoning office. Where did she call in from? Quakertown, Pennsylvania. That I guarantee you, her cult, her her family is from Pennsylvania, has never left Pennsylvania. I guarantee you, she's like tenth generation Pennsylvania, and that is her culture, where you will work hard even if you work at the mind-numbingly boring, awful, where every single impulse and every like the whole system is set up to not work hard, and she still does, because that's her culture. And we need to know this. We need to know these cultural differences. We need to know this about ourselves and we need to know this about the people who are coming here. Because as Emma Jo Morris said, our culture is good. There's a reason why some countries are third world countries or as Trump called them, uh, uh, S-hole countries, <laughs> blank hole countries. Remember that? You bring the third world here, we become the third world. It's very simple. Do you remember the outrage when Trump said, uh, when he said that, I don't, we weren't there, it was, it, was, uh, it was a closed door meeting and reports came out and people came out and they were just like, oh, like, I, can't, I can't believe, 
I can't believe the president was saying. And the, the, the line was something like, why are we having all these people from blank hole countries coming here? And the, the, the outrage the, and the phoniness. This is one of my favorite stories from the Trump presidency because the phoniness of this outrage was so wonderful. Like these, these, these staffers or whatever are coming out and they're so offended that Donald Trump called Haiti a blank hole country. It's like, what are you talking about? Like, of course it is. Is it not? Is Haiti not a blank hole country? Do you, do you want to move to Haiti? Would you vacation in Haiti? Uh, my friend did a, a couple mission trips in Haiti. He said it's the only place in the world he's ever been where people beg for water. That's how much of a blank hole country it is. So among blank hole countries, Haiti would be at the top of the list, or the bottom. I don't know what's top or bottom. They're the blank holiest of all the countries. In the world. That's so obvious and so not offensive at all. <laughs> but Donald Trump says, why are we bringing people with this culture into our country, and it's, uh, it's he's like the most horrible racist of all time. He says, why do we need more Haitians? Oh, oh, the huddled masses. They're the huddled masses. To which I say, wait a second, why do we need more Haitians? And Trump said, uh, he was asking out in this meeting, why do we not bring in more immigrants legally from Great European countries. This is, a, this is the, a quote, so-called quote. That's how it was quoted in the newspaper. Um, spoke, uh, Trump spoke of taking in immigrants from great European countries like Norway and also from Asian countries since they could help America economically. Great. Sounds awesome. Why not? I don't know. Why don't? It's a great question. Why do we, why do we not bring in people who, who will make this country better as, as determined by us? as outlined, as predetermined by Americans. Ibram X. Kendi in the Atlantic when this blank whole country comment was released. He said, uh, what made this moment historic, Trump being so racist, what made this moment unprecedented was not merely a misuse of a vile word. It was the racial hierarchy Trump constructed with that language he placed whites over Asians and both over Latinos and blacks from blank hole countries. No, you clown. It has nothing to do with race. And this is where the midwits degenerate this conversation on purpose because they don't want you to have a culture conversation. They only want you to have a race conversation. That's all they ever know about anything is bringing it back to race, but they certainly don't want you to have a culture conversation. They don't, <laughs> no, that is the last thing. They want you to ever talk about it and ever think about it. If you ever bring anything up about it at all, then they, they, they call you a racist. But there's nothing racist at all. In fact, it's like super interesting. It's a fascinating, wonderful conversation. Like what should our, how should we raise families? How should we construct families in America? Well, for a long time, we've had, we, we've valued the nuclear family. And because we've had that for a long time, we assume everyone believes in a strong nuclear family. But no, that's, there's lots of different ways of organizing family. There's lots of different ways of organizing marriages. Uh, Breitbart has an article this morning about uh, this, this horrible uh, show on Peacock about thruples. It's like a thruple dating show now. They would, right? So this is, the, this is how the progressives want to organize families with thruples. Okay? Do you remember when the whole gay marriage thing happened and people were like, this is before I was a Christian. So like, there are all these wacky Christians who are like, oh, you start allowing uh, Adam and Steve to get married 
then you're going to have uh, threesome couples. And I, mean, I wasn't a Christian. It's so like, oh, crazy Christians. You're being ridiculous. <laughs> Here we have dating shows with throuples. It's like, why not, right? It's game on. That's the culture they want to create. That is a, that is a culture. Like, that's, what is a culture? A culture is the, the way we do different things. Okay, well, how do we do families? How do we do dating? How do we do marriage? Well, the left has their own culture that they're trying to foist upon you. Whether it's from within or from bringing in people with other cultures that may not be compatible with the one that we want or the one that we are or what we want. We need to sit down and think about what we want. And we can do that. So like, like Japanese, like I really value the Japanese culture of respecting elders. Right? Different cultures have different views of age. I think we, I think... Uh, I value how, how the Japanese culture respects elders. I think that's preferable to our culture of praising the youth. I think we put too much, too much praise on youth. We have this youth culture in America. We value the youth. The youth are so wise oh, from the mouth of babes. Oh, the kids, the kids are so smart. The kids are smarter than you. Right? You hear this a lot with the transgender stuff. What, what do you mean this boy says he's a girl? Of course he's a boy. Oh, but he says. He's four. Well, they know. <laughs> what are we talking about? So we don't respect our elders enough. So like I, I, like I think we should change that aspect about our culture. So maybe it'd be good to bring in people from cultures if we're going to have, I mean, we must have immigrants. It's good to have immigrants legally. So maybe we should bring in people from cultures that, that more respect their elders. I think that'd be better for us. So that, that'd be more from Japan. That's great. Now, maybe there are redeeming things about Haitian cultures. I don't know. The only thing I know about Haiti, other than my friend doing the mission trip there, is uh, another friend of mine was a uh, labor and delivery nurse. And she said at this hospital she worked in, there were no Americans. Like, no, like it was all immigrants. And like, literally, like, like never spoke English. Like, there's no, like, she never spoke English in this hospital. It was all people from other countries. And she said, Haitians spit during childbirth they're spitting all the time they're like constantly spitting and i'm like what are you talking about he says oh the other sp- it's just constant spitting all the uncontrollable spitting i said what do you what in the world what is that about and they said oh they believe in voodoo and voodoo or whatever says you can't swallow your saliva during childbirth so they're just spitting nonstop. <laughs> and you, listen you may say slater whatever we can work with that just have the nurse put on a hazmat suit in the delivery room. What's the big deal? I said, okay. Let me give you one more point. So I found, because I'm looking up Haitians. I'm looking up aspects of Haitian culture. I don't know. So this is from the nj.gov website. This is the, gov, the, the website of New Jersey. Tip sheet on Haitian culture. So after the earthquake, a couple of years back, a bunch of Haitians came to America, came to New Jersey specifically. So this is a, a little a little cheat sheet on cultural differences between Haitians and Americans. So Haitian culture and American culture. Oh, pretty cool. So uh, this is from the New Jersey website. There's an old Haitian proverb that states, beyond the mountains, more mountains. Although most of Haiti consists of mountains, the proverb reflects the Haitian view that beyond current problems lie other problems. Okay, so this is a, a Haitian cultural perspective is that uh, it gets worse. <laughs> Life gets worse. It's bad now, and if you overcome the next problem, congratulations, you're just on to the next. Beyond the mountains, more mountains. 
that is very different than the American culture that says better days are always ahead. We, we, have, a, we have a very different cultural perspective on hope and on the future. Haitian culture, and for good reason because it's horrible there, it's all, things are always get worse. In America, we are hoping for things to always get better. Can those two cultures coexist side by side? Very interesting. This was a, a study from, or analysis from SUNY Newpults, distributed by NJ.gov, admitting, and that's just one, but admitting that there are, there are indeed cultural differences between Haiti and America. And this, this tip sheet has seven books referenced at the bottom, like a, like a bibliography at the bottom. Seven different books, which means there's a lot of scholarship on this particular issue, just Haitian culture versus American culture. So there's, lot, there's lots of scholarship on this, and I'm sure of every other culture in the, country, in the world as well. So great, I'll ask Trump's question again. Do we need more people from blank hole countries? Do we want people of this culture, or do we want more people of our culture? Or do we want more people of the culture that we want, whatever that is? The other day we went over Russell Kirk's 10 conservative principles. So this is what we would want more of in our country, I think. So people from Haiti, people from Venezuela, El Salvador, Norway, do they believe this? Do they believe these principles in their bones? Do they believe these principles about freedom and, and, and their role as citizens and their view of government? Do they believe these things? Do the people coming in from these other countries, do they have a culture that's compatible with the principles that built this country? I'd like to know. And you can't when you just say, well, you got here? All right, you're in. That's just not good enough. And the Schumer-Lankford bill does nothing to consider any of this, of course. One of, the, one of the elements of the bill, the compromise, is to let in 5,000 illegal immigrants. No, I shouldn't say it. It's 5,000 asylum claims a day. <laughs> 5,000 a day. And that's just asylum claims. That doesn't include parole. That doesn't include just any other illegal immigrant who just makes it across and runs. But that, that's like 5,000 officially recognized asylum claims allowed into America to go into America Every single day, that's the compromise. <laughs> Not zero, 5,000 a day. No consideration about who these people are. So thank you our, to our Quaker cultured friend from Pennsylvania for highlighting the fact that there are cultural differences between peoples. And it is our right, it is our obligation to figure this out and do what's best for us. Welcome back to Breitbart News Daily. Here is uh, Breitbart immigration reporter, Neil Monroe. Neil, how you doing, sir? I'm filled with joy at this early morning in Washington, D.C., where the temperature is a balmy 30 degrees. And oh, snow on the ground, but nothing. 30? Neil. Yeah. Negative, <laughs> negative 11 in northern, northern Iowa. Those are different planets. 
Yes, it is. Uh, You're fine. Yes, it's a it's a little cold for the locals, but um, <laughs> it's not it's not minus it's not zero. It's, how about uh, your How about your home country? How how is how is negative uh, eleven in your home country? That would be impossible. The place would would crash. Ireland is surrounded by nice warm water, and it almost never got down to zero. Really? It did like. He, snow, the town would shut down. I remember getting up, this was a long time ago, and we had three inches of snow, and you could walk out into that city, and it was completely silent, because nothing was moving or driving at three inches of snow. <laughs> yeah, negative, negative 11. <laughs> How could humans like do that? Uh, but they'll get out there today, that's for sure. All right, we got to talk about this uh, Schumer-Lankford border deal. Uh, where to start here, sir? Why why is there even a Schumer-Lankford border deal needing to happen? Yeah, so it's all immigration, and it's all money, and it's all politics. The, this proposed deal at the moment is in trouble, partly because it's, well, it's so bad. And that House Speaker um, is, going to, is basically said that he's not going to support this deal. Um, Johnson just said, told his guys on the telephone call, this deal is a no, we're not going to support it. And there's another important thing. I mean, look, the Democrats created this migration flood into the United States because they want more bodies. They want more bodies as potential voters. They want more bodies as workers and as consumers, but mostly because Democrats have got themselves into a position where they believe it's morally wrong to exclude people from the United States. They just get up in the morning and say, we can't have a border stopping poor people from coming into the U.S. It sounds strange. It sounds lunatic. It is strange and it is lunatic, but that's where they've got themselves into a position. And in part, they believe that now because the business groups have spent a ton of money hiring thousands of progressives, giving them a new noble mission to lead the world into a post-national, post-borders world. And they just, progressives are like basically now these days priests to Wall Street. They believe that they're on a mission from God or secular humanism. And they've decided that one, this mission requires that poor people should be able to walk into the United States from all over the world. Now, you'll understand this is really unpopular. And so they basically they're dealing with the consequences of their actions. But so they've let in several million people. My count is five million people uh, since uh, Biden was inaugurated. That's roughly speaking, when you add in legal immigration and temporary workers, they've admitted roughly one immigrant for every two American births. And they'd let it go higher if they could. But they can't because the public really, really hates it. Because Americans Americans are really nice people. They're really trusting people. And they generally say something like, well, you know, we like migration in general. It makes us look good in the world that people want to come here. And we like immigrants. They're hardworking. They want to take care of their kids like us. But they also hate migration. 
in practice. Migration really does move money around. It really does mean that wages go down, housing goes up, all sorts of other things happen that make life difficult for ordinary Americans. So Americans are being, in a way, well, sort of, Americans are so nice, they're being blackmailed by this democratic desire to pull people in. Fine. They pulled in so many people, they need a, they, they're going to lose the election. So Democrats are calling for some sort of deal. It's like, yes, now that I've said half, half the town fire, we need a reform in fire practice. We need to upgrade our um, anti-fire uh, policy. So they're going around claiming we're going to fix what we broke. Aren't we wonderful? Mm-hmm. And so we have this pending deal in Washington to change immigration rules. And you would think the rules would say, these pending deals would say something like, let's stop the mass migration that's making Americans poor. Let's do something sensible. But no, it turns out that Republicans are such terrible negotiators. They're such, they're not not very impressive people that the deal on the table would legitimize and legalize mass migration. So part of the deal, for example, is that anyone who arrives at the border should be given a work permit because that means they don't have to stay in in a government hotel and be funded by the government while they're uh, waiting for an asylum decision. But if anyone who comes to the border can get a work permit, that means everyone in the world can come and get a job in the United States. And if everyone in the world can come and get a job in the United States, that means wages are going to fall through the floor. It means apartments and rents are going to rise like crazy. And this is great for Wall Street. Because yeah. Wall Street gets piles of cheap labor, piles of income from and real estate, but it's really bad for the nation. Just let me, let me just know, let, let me just be let me just be clear on this one. So one one of the aspects of the compromise from the Schumer Lankford compromise bill, as it's proposed right now, is immediate work permit for every illegal immigrant released into this country. Yeah, it, sure. instant work permit. You're ready to work. It's amazing. Right. Compromise is a, is a strange word in Washington, D.C. There's another, another element of the compromise is lawyers for illegal immigrants so they can use your taxpayer dollars to argue that they should be allowed to stay in the United States. It's lawyers for younger illegal immigrants, but there's lots of them coming. There's another element, too, where they say if you're hired as a visa worker, if you're a foreign college graduate and the Fortune 500 offers you a job, which they can under various programs, then you can come into the country and your children can stay here. Now, if you're a foreign immigrant, you're born in India or uh, Vietnam, and some American company says, uh, if you work for us at slave wages for 30 years, your kids can live in the United States. You're going to take the deal. Of course you're going to take the deal. It means your kids get educated in the modern world. Of course you're going to take the deal. So that aspect would basically hand over even more white-collar college graduate jobs to foreign migrants. And, you know, the word compromise is not relevant here. This is a lunatic bill. Here's, here's one aspect of it. Okay. Let's say you're an investor sitting on a pile of money in Washington or in, or in Los Angeles or in New York, and the government says, you know what? We're going to bring in an extra, say, 5 million people a year. And you look at your money and say, 
where's the best way I can grow my money? Now, if there's no migrants coming in here, the best way to grow your money in the United States is to buy machines, robots, anything that will make Americans do more work every day. So you'd buy, if you have a construction worker, you'd buy him a robot or a bulldozer or um, some other fancy device so he can work mm-hmm. twice as hard. Yep. If you're a industrial plant worker, uh, you would say, if you're an investor and you, you, you own a factory, you'd say, well, you know what? I'll buy robots so the workers there can produce twice as many things every day. I'll give them a bump up in wages, but I'll be getting twice the revenue. So what the government is doing is now saying, well, look, you know, we're going to bring in, say, 5 million migrants a year. And you say, well, the best way to use my money is to buy more real estate because the migrants have to come here and they need places to sleep and they need restaurants to get fast food on their way to work and they need uh, to buy more stuff. So I'm going to buy more real estate and build more shops. And suddenly that means all the money that would have gone to Americans in the form of new machines stops going to America in the form of new machines. It turned into more apartment buildings, more restaurants, more 7-Elevens to cope with all the new workers. So immigration is, beyond a certain point, really bad for an economy. It's really bad for ordinary Americans. And by the way, none of that money goes to the home countries. If, if Americans are getting paid, if you have a pile of money and you spend the last 10 years buying machines for Americans so that they are doing more work. At some point, you're going to say, you know what? I'm going to invest in the countries, poor countries, because I can make money there too. But if the federal government starts bringing in poor people, there's no need to invest in poor countries, which means Mm. if if I bring in Jack and after five years there's no improvement in his home country, all of Jack's cousins are going to come here. So in every way you look at it, migration is bad for ordinary Americans. It's interesting argument. I've never heard that last one. That's good. every time I talk to you, I hear a new a new angle. Um, so let, let's Congress, get to the yeah. let's get to the most obviously bad part of this compromise bill, and that is that it allows five thousand illegal immigrants to come here every single day. So this is five thousand illegal immigrants can come legally. <laughs> like you could be a legal a legally admitted illegal immigrant or something. Yeah. And then after that, it's, well, we'll just try to do the best we can with the next 5,000 that coming in that day, right? I mean, it's like there's no guarantee it stops at the five. Yeah, it's as if Congress has decided, look, let's sit down and make an agreement about how to handle crime. And then they said, okay, okay, we've we've got our compromise. We're going to allow 5,000 bank robberies a day. (laughs) So it's, it's ridiculous. The Republicans can't negotiate to save their lives, and Democrats are, are using the negotiations to weaken border laws. At the moment, current law says no illegal immigrants are allowed, and if they try to cross the border, you have to detain them so they can't work. And by the way, that strategy works very well. If I'm an immigrant from Brazil, and I'm going, and I decide I'm going to immigrate to America tonight, I've got $10,000 here, all my life savings, and I'm going to buy a smuggler, and we're going to go up north through the jungle and go to Mexico, and we're going to get robbed and beaten up, and maybe my daughter's going to get raped. But at the end, I'm going to get to America, and I'm going to get a job. And with that job, I'm going to pay back all my debts and bring my family up here. That's the current situation. 
Well, what happens is Biden and company let the guys work. As soon as they get over the border, they go to work, they pay their debt, they bring their family up. Immigration succeeds. But if you actually change the law, if you actually enforce the law that says, hi, you're an illegal immigrant, okay, come over here, stand here now. Now wait two years in this detention center while we decide what to do with you and listen to your bogus claims for asylum, then suddenly the immigration stops because the money stops. Think of immigration like a conveyor belt. Bodies are coming north, money's going south. Mm. Okay? If you stop the money going south, the bodies don't come north. Migrants are not stupid. They're rational. If they know they can't get a job, if they hear one of their friends went up to America, spent his life savings, and then was forced to spend two years in a desert uh, camp, they're going to say, no way, we're not doing that. Yeah. So it's the money and the jobs that fuel all this migration. Yeah, and by but- essentially allowing people the job to work, you are basically greasing up the conveyor belt to bring in phenomenal numbers of people. Makes and perfect yet, sense. This so, is what Congress is talking about. So this bill, this, this Schumer-Lankford bill, Lankford's the Republican senator from Oklahoma, so uh, increased green cards by 50000 a year, work permits for adult children of H-1B visa holders, you mentioned that earlier, immediate work permits for every illegal immigrant released from custody, immediate work permits, uh, the taxpayer-funded lawyers for certain younger illegal immigrants, uh, the $5,000 $5, illegal immigrant a day legally allowed to come in illegally. <laughs> <laughs> it's like what? Uh, so the five thousand a day, and then you know, sh- surely more. Uh, what do Republicans get out of? Is is it is the is the Republican this last part? It says here on your article on Breitbart.com restricts parole for those who enter without authorization between the ports of entry. Is that what you know, the Republicans get out of this? That, that, that um, parole is a form of where the government is allowed to let small numbers of people into the country. So what Democrats say is this new law will prevent people from getting parole if they come across the desert or they try to sneak in. But by implication, it means the government can give as much parole as it wants to people who walk up on one of the roads and knock on the doors. So this bill is completely crazy. It would legitimize the Democrats' poverty agenda of making people poor. But why would Republicans sign on with this? Well, there's all sorts of reasons, but the most important thing is you got to remember the politicians will lie to you, okay? You know this. Everybody knows this. The politicians will lie to voters, but they also lie to donors. They lie to their donors. They tell fibs, whoppers, lies to the donors. And here, a big factor on the Republican side is a huge number of Republican donors want more migration. And for some reason, Democrats, this, this funding bill is wrapped up in a larger package with money for Israel and Ukraine. And there's $60 billion in that package to fund our proxy war against Russia with Ukraine. Just, it's a, the war is a disaster. Ukraine is partly won. It saved itself from Russia. Um, by and large, um, but the money's in mixed in with that money. The bill is mixed in with that money. And so basically, Republicans are under intense pressure from the donors 
who want the $61 billion, who want more workers, more renters, more consumers. And so the party zigzags like crazy. They'll tell the donors, well, Jack, uh, I understand that you represent a big uh, shopping chain or a real estate firm. Of course we're going to consider the important role that migrants play in our economy in expanding our economy. Of course, Jack, I listen to you all the time because you give me money. And then they're also counting the votes. And they know the public is hopping mad with this uh, lunatic bill. So what they do is basically they go back and uh, and they kind of lie to you and me. They say, well, this bill will improve migration problems. It'll handle these migration problems. Fine, we know that's not true. We're all grown up. But they also go to the donors and they tell their lobbyist friends, by the way, they are friends. Politicians and lobbyists are friends. If I'm a politician and I'm about to do something important, the corporations will hire my friends to tell me not to do this. They'll hire my scoutmaster. They'll hire my high school uh, football team coach. They'll hire my, uh, my wife's social, um, uh, college professor or whatever in order to tell us. So let's say I'm the politician. And I'm, I know the donors want this, and I know the voters hate it. The obvious thing for me is to say to the lobbyists, hey, Jack, great bill, marvelous bill. I love it. It's great for the economy. It's exactly as you say. I'm going to try really hard to pass this bill. Really, Jack, honest, really. I'm going to try my bestest ever to try and pass this bill, even when they know they're not going to do it. And so what happens then is there's 49 Republicans in the Senate. They all go into a room and they look at each other and say, they want us to pass this lunatic bill. And some populist Republicans say, you know, this bill is terrible for ordinary Americans for reasons A, B, C, and D. And all the other politicians will look at him and get angry and say, oh, stop talking with the highfalutin nonsense. How do we squirm our way through this problem? How do we solve our personal problem of facing all the pressure from the donors and the opposite pressure from the voters. Mm. And it turns out the answer is to lie through your teeth, to say yes to everybody all the time until the critical moment. And so, for example, so in general, what happens is the politicians are zigzagging between the donors and the voters. Now, you can call this line, but I'm going to be nice to them. They zigzag between the voters and the donors. And basically, who, the voters win if the last lie, if the politician's last lie is aimed at the donors. Jack, I'm going to pass this bill. And the voters lose when the last lie, they're told the last lie. Yeah. Dear voter, of course I'm yeah. against this bill. So now the Republicans are going through the process of deciding whether to support this bill or not. And it's an impossible dance to track because it really happens in private. The politicians gather with their staff in their rooms, and they mutter to each other, and they gather together as, as Republican Party representatives, and they mutter to each other. And we don't hear it. We hear scraps. We hear rumors. We hear what they tell us. We hear this, and then we hear the opposite. So we really don't know. So you have to watch the dance of these politicians, and this is important. Senator Langford said, I have a wonderful bill. But we as a caucus are not going to support us until half the caucus supports us. What does that mean? It means he gave a big signal 
that he might lose this debate. He might deliberately lose this debate. And so, okay, we think of the Republicans as a party of three, okay? There's one third of the Republicans who hate this bill and will say publicly this bill is terrible. The Marsha Blackburns, the J.D. Vances, the Josh Hawley's, Ted Cruz. Right. And, you know, a couple of others, Grassley, for example, Rubio, who's a changed man since 2013, they're going to say this bill is bad for America. They're highly likely to. And that's not fair. You know, you can get about 10 Republicans like that. Blackburn, maybe Hagerty. um, And so uh, then there's roughly 15, maybe 20 Republicans who are just determined to give the business guys what they want. The Mitt Romney's. Yeah, Mitt Romney, he'll say something sincere and then give business what he wants, what they want. And, you know, there's a bunch of them like that. Lindsey Graham, for example, um, has been very pro-migration. There's Mike Rounds. Arguably the worst of them is Tom Tom Tillis, a personally very impressive guy who, who fought his way up from working class status to be a major business executive but yeah, for IBM. But he, you know, he fully believed in outsourcing white-collar jobs so uh, that investors can make more money. Fine. Those, so we've got roughly 10 people who are going to say no. And let's say we've got 15 people who are going to say yes, no matter what. Well, that's 25. Where's the other 25? Those are basically Republicans who say, well, Jack, sure, I love this bill, but I don't know if the voters will let me. These are the swing voting uh, both sides people and Langford just says we're not going to pass this bill until we get about half of the swing voters to line up with the giveaway group the the, uh, the, the Tom Tillis yeah. Murkowski group can they do it? So, yeah, that's a completely different thing they don't have to do that so for example they can pass this bill if just 10 Republicans ally with all the Democrats, or more likely, if you get 15 Republicans and nearly all the Democrats, you can mm-hmm. pass this bill with 60, 61 votes by a squeaker. Okay? So isn't, isn't this good then that Langford's coming out and saying, we're only doing it if we get half of them? It's important and likely good. If he says we're only doing it if we can get half, it means he's telling this block of swing voting Republicans, half of you guys need to vote for this clunker of a bill. So let's say, for example, Todd Young, okay? Uh, He's a senator who does a bunch of good stuff and some not-so-good stuff. But Langford says to him, okay, Todd, you're sitting in that chair. I'm only going to pass this bill if a block of you, say 15 of you swing voting Republicans, decide you're going to vote for this outsourcing bill, this job elimination bill. Ooh, that puts a huge amount of pressure on Lang- on Todd Young and the rest of the swing voting group. They're going to hate this because it means the media and the voters recognize that the Republicans in the swing voting group decide the decision. See, normally a politician can, like Todd Young, for example, could say, okay, just get the, the block of 10 or 15 pro-migration Republicans to pass this bill by a bare majority and I can hide in the basement. I won't get any publicity, and I can say, and I can vote against this bill, and I can pretend yeah. I was against this bill. Fine. But he can't do that now. 
they have to get roughly 20, 15 to 20 swing voting Republicans to back this bill. And this is going to make very, life very miserable for those guys. Hmm. And a bunch of them are so, facing the election so in 24. So my question to make this drive home is, does Lankford want to get the half of the Republicans to vote for this? Or is he... Does he not want that to happen? And he's setting a too high, right. a, a, a purposefully high bar so it doesn't happen. Yes, he may okay. be doing that. By the way, it gets more preposterous in the first place. What if Senator McConnell only agreed to go along with this bill because it's such a shockingly bad bill that the voters got really ticked off with the Democrats and vote for McConnell's Republicans in the election. So I'll tell you, back in 2013, 2014, there was this Gang of Eight bill. It was so preposterously bad, not as bad as this one, not as gruesomely biased and skewed as this one, but really bad. And the Republicans sort of went on with the bill, and they joined, most Republicans joined with the Democrats, and it flew through the Senate with 68 votes or so. And then Boehner stopped it in the House. And Boehner counted the votes, Republicans rose up all over the country, and they, and they, in the primary elections, they defeated the Republican majority leader, who was so comfortable, who was so expected to win. He didn't even go to his home state primary. He was off in New York raising money when he got news that he lost the election. An incredible shocker of election. The Republicans got rid of their top, of the head of their party in, in the House elections primaries in 2014. All Republicans know that. They know this is really unpopular. All yes. Republicans also know what happened in the election in 2014. They gained five votes in the Senate and the biggest majority they've had in the House since 1929. A colossal victory, in part because ordinary American voters saw this horrible immigration bill and decided to punish the Democrats for it. It is not beyond the possibility that we're having this discussion about this horrible bill because McConnell wants us to have a discussion about a horrible bill. Think of it from oh, that's McConnell's point sneaky. of view. Like, so his job is to re-elect Republicans' sense. For that, he needs a colossal amount of cash, hundreds of millions of dollars. He gets from donors, not the tooth fairy. So he has to go to donors and with furrowed brows and say, Jack, I'm going to help you on this. Immigration's good for the country, mumble, mumble, mumble. And so we're going to fight this bill. Honest this time, I'm going to try really, 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 truly very hard. And then there are all the donors say, okay, McConnell, uh, oh, thank you very much. Here's, here, I'm going to write you a big fat check. And then McConnell has to arrange the defeat of the bill he's supposedly trying to pass. Okay. I can't tell if that's devious or brilliant. I, I, I can't tell which it is. Like in Washington, wilderness of mirrors, yada, yada, it's just really confusing. You don't really know where these guys are until the vote. And even then, what? there's we, ways of... So, and by the way, the House Speaker, Johnson, just said he's against this bill, right? Which means he's basically promising to say, if you send me a bill over here, I'm going to junk it. He's, uh, which means he's telling this middle group of swing-voting Republicans, okay, you can risk your career by doing something yeah. really stupid and really unpopular, and I'm going to just drop it in the trash. It won't go anywhere. Yeah, it won't go anywhere anyway. You've done nothing. So back to Todd Young, right? He's, he's, the business guys are 
be begging him. They're clutching onto his legs. They're holding onto his shirt. Oh, pass this giveaway bill. Oh, it's good for the landlords. Oh, it's great. And he's thinking, not only is this bill really unpopular, it's not even going to pass the house. So what, you want me to risk my career that a bill isn't going to get through the house? What? So I can show how stupid I am? No. Well, listen, this all sounds very encouraging. I hope they follow through on how you outlined it. I, I still fear, yeah. though, that they will get the the 10 they need, and then yeah. uh, the Speaker Johnson caves. <laughs> the thing yeah. passes anyway. Right, which means that basically the more Americans protest, the less likely this bill will pass. I mean, this is democracy. Yeah. That In 2014... Yeah, yeah small group of Republicans in the 7th District of Virginia stopped the immigration giveaway, the Gang of Eight bill. Dead. A couple of thousands of activists got together and they organized and they persuaded and they, and they campaigned and they stood out in the streets and they won voters over. And they, they, Wall Street spent billions of dollars trying to pass that Gamacy bill. And a small group of women and guys, men and women, in Virginia killed it because this is a democracy no matter how it is also incredibly corrupt. And so we're going to go through the same thing again, where Republicans are pretending to support a bill they don't really like. Uh, Democrats find themselves supporting a bill they must think is insane. Um, because I don't, this is just set I up don't, the situation. I don't trust them to not sell us out. I, I hear everything yeah. you're saying, but I don't, I, I can't yet sit back and be like, well, it's all kind of a, 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 a game they're playing. <laughs> well, uh, yeah. So what, arguably, under the optimistic view, what they want is, what Republicans want is to produce such a terrible bill that ordinary Americans go out in the streets yeah. and make a big fuss so they can turn to the lobbyists and say, Jack, I love you. We get on great. That bill you sent us was marvelous. Good for the Republic. Fantastic for the world. But I can't vote for it, Jack. My voters will rip me apart. I'll be scattered to the winds and yeah. eaten up by the crows if I pass this bill. So, Jack, I just, just can't. Oh, by the way, Jack, thanks very much for the donation. It really helped in November. And, Jack, aren't we, uh, aren't we, don't we have that golf date on <laughs> Saturday? Let's go golfing. Yeah. And we'll try again. Don't worry, Jack. Uh, Neil, we got to run here, brother. Um, all the analysis uh, from Neil Monroe on Breitbart.com, of course, Breitbart Immigration Report. Neil, great to talk to you, sir. It's wonderful. Thanks for having me on. Yes, sir. Breitbart.com, of course. Iowa Caucus coverage tonight. If you're listening to this on Monday, uh, I'll be hosting it on the First TV. So you can join us over there on the First TV, firsttv.com, First TV app, any of your streaming platforms, 347 on DirecTV. Just, just stop with the lame stream. Don't watch anything on the lame stream. and break. Uh, so join us at the First, and then just keep it right there on the First because we will be simulcasting Breitbart News Daily on the First tomorrow morning from 7 to 9. We'll see you then. Mm-hmm.